Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Ultimate Life, the podcast dedicated completely to helping you understand how great you are, the capability you have, and find and maximize your skills, your gifts, your life experience, and to create your ultimate life. And don't forget, if you haven't already, go to yourultimatelife.ca for some free, cool stuff. I'm grateful today to have a special guest, Daniel Aaron. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kellen. I am delighted to be with you. So we've had a, a few chances to speak a little bit, and so I know a little bit about you, but I don't like to give introductions because, first of all, they usually sound canned, and that's not very effective. And second of all, they're never going to capture the nuances. And so what I do now is I like to give you permission to be bold. And I want to ask a question that I love starting with, which is how does Daniel add good to the world? Well, thank you. And uh, I guess the first thing that comes is I'm discovering that every moment, every moment is a new opportunity for it. And, uh, you know, the, the more standard answers would be a, I'm an author, I'm a coach, I'm a transformational entertainer, though what I'm really looking for all the time is moment by moment, person by person, situation by situation, to discover the answer to that question myself, which is, how can I add good to this situation, this person? So I love the transfer. I'm going to talk about all those pieces. But uh, what is it? What is it? What do you do is the entertainment part? I don't know that I've had someone start out with entertaining. So tell me more about that. Uh, with with great pleasure. Entertainment is a way of bringing forward energy information. It's a way of uh, transmitting to people possibility, uh, the divine, you could say it. And the reason I, I put it that way is because I've I've had a lot of time on stage. I've had a lot of time teaching classes and, and all good and fine. What I discovered, though, is that it's much more effective and enjoyable. And there's a relationship there when what I bring forward is entertaining. So rather than teaching something or delivering information, it's telling stories, it's acting, it's helping people feel engaged and happy and receptive. And when I do that, it creates a field. It creates an opportunity and openness and, and magic happens. Miracles happen. I love the fact that you use the word field. Do you sing and dance and stand on your head for entertainment? Or is it just storytelling with great drama and so forth? Like, tell me a little bit more. Uh, I have not done uh, singing or dancing to this point. As, as a yogi and yoga teacher, though, I have stood on my head several times and I have sensed that actually singing is something that may come through at some point. Uh, I got a little little singing trauma behind me, which maybe I haven't overcome yet. 
I, I love that. And I, I sing. I have done that. So I gave us I've given more than one talk where I close with a song. Mm-hmm. And it's always an original song, and it always has lyrics that are appropriate to the topic and stuff like that. So I love that, and I love that you stand on your head. I say that often just to be funny, but in this case, it's actually true. So it, it, it appears to me, I love the description you gave about looking in every situation to mm-hmm. add good to the world. What is, or, or the situation, like, <clears throat> what I find and this is why I like you and other people like you on the show, is that there's a certain joy, there's a certain satisfaction in intentionally being about doing good, you know, in in your world. To just to not just, well, you see a needy situation, so you do a thing. But there's a satisfaction and and a, a joy even about doing good. But that doesn't happen all by itself. So tell me a little bit about how you got there to to where you are now in terms of how you look for opportunities to add good okay sure happy to say that and and as you as you phrase it like that it kind of puts my past in a little bit different light so i'll say it this way and see what what sense it makes I grew up on the standard American diet right and I was sad sad I was fat shy depressed uh, and I also grew up with a perspective of you got to be somebody and what I saw around me. And so we could call that ego development. And what I saw around me was a lot of teachings and modeling of the world is for you to go out and get stuff for yourself, right? To build yourself up, to get money, prestige, stuff, whatever it is. And and I didn't know any better. So, you know, the first part of my life, maybe the first quarter century, I was uh, laboring under that that modeling. And then when I was in my mid-20s, I had a, an experience that changed everything. And even though I was uh, kind of opposed to religion, and I didn't even know there was a thing called spirituality, I had this experience where God, which is not a word that I could have even used at that point, um, however, I can now, God reached down, grabbed me by the hair, which was on my head, not my chin at that point, lifted me up and said, dude, there's a lot more to the world than you've been seeing. And it it just blew up my previous life in an instant. I went from not believing, past believing to knowing that there is a higher power. I, I tasted oneness, bliss, human potential, and... And it was an astoundingly beautiful experience. It was also kind of horrible because I didn't understand it. I didn't know how to speak about it. I didn't know how to live it. And what I had known, my my foundation was 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 gone. So when my feet came back down to the ground, what I realized is, wow, I got to figure this thing out. Like how to be spirit in human form. And that's when I got obsessed with personal and spiritual development. And and that 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 journey, for, especially for the next 10 intensive years, was full of lessons that contradicted my previous teachings, the, the, the previous understandings I have. So instead of it's about me getting, getting, getting all of those teachings in different ways, and I had to get it in lots of different ways, all of those teachings in different ways said, 
How can you be giving? What can you give to the world? What's out there? Who's out there? They're not any different from you. Your service to them, your loving of them is, that's you. So it's all the same. So the more you can do to help others, to love others, the better it is for everybody. It's the goose and the gander, and eventually the goose and the gander aren't any separate anyway. I love that, and I agree with it and support it 100%. And yet, when I interview person after person, as you do on your show, you have a show too, it seems to be standard fare that we're fed a diet of poison, not only food-wise, but a diet of poison about greed, about selfishness, about getting stuff for yourself, about pumping yourself up, about money, you know, mm, you know I, I got mine, you know, that sort of feeling. What in the world is going on that the framework around us seems to be so poison and that causes us to need to do this? kind of awakening and work that I hear over and over again and love and support. Why do you suppose that's how we are? As in what what causes that? Yeah, what's going on that that's the the framework. We we all grow up with this terrible diet of whatever, not only food, but, you know, self-esteem lack and lack of confidence. And then we have to go on these, some people never do, but go on this journey of personal development. What do you suppose is going on? And I know this is speculative, but what do you suppose is going on that causes that to be the norm? Yeah, absolutely. Well, speculation can be fun and entertaining, um, and sometimes it leads <laughs> to discoveries. So I don't, you know, like the best, the, what comes to me is there has been a separation, and we could say a separation from nature, and that's, to me, that's really easy to see in our modern world, so many people living in concrete boxes and so much of the earth's beautiful ground covered with concrete and you know we're living insulated from 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 life from nature and so it 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 it, it brings us to this separation this illusion of separation and and that's probably just you know really metaphor for separation from from god from the divine uh, whatever phrasing we want to put on it. And, you know, we could go back to old stories about, you know, there was the fall or the separation from from the original spark, how, however we want to phrase it. And maybe it's because we we love a good story and everybody loves a comeback. And so we needed to create that separation to experience what that's like so that we could come back to remembering who we are, which, you know, seems to me like that's the inevitable resolution for everyone sooner or later. Sooner is more fun, I would say. You know, I love that. And it sparks a thought in me, and that is this. So if uh, I, I don't, if we started in oneness and then we created a separation, maybe part of the process is the opportunity to choose the return as opposed to not choose it so the the separation is the is the stance the status quo and the opportunity it's not status quo but i mean that's where we go and that's how it's sort of set up and then we have the opportunity to choose to return and in that process learn about ourselves about others about love about service about growth and that kind of thing i don't know just a thought that as you described that 
Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I mean, I, th I think it's, it's generally true that if something happens by default, or even if we are kind of pushed into it or gifted into it, we tend to have less appreciation, less, uh, less ownership of it in a sense, as compared to when we have the option and we say, well, I know what this is like, actually, I want to choose this. It means a lot more to us, right? We have buy-in, so to speak. Even if it's hard work, like I got this picture of a mountain behind me. And one of the phrases that I say to people when I talk about this growth process is nobody fell up the mountain, right? <laughs> you had to climb, you had to crawl, and maybe it was steep and maybe you slipped and maybe this, that, and the other. So I want you to think out loud for, because one of the things I love to do in the show is give people real things to think about for themselves and to work on. So as you think about pivotal events, you had this pivotal event in your mid-20s that gave you a perspective, but then you commented, I had to go do something with it. I had to figure out what it meant and how to apply it. And I didn't have a handbook or manual and I had to, you know, that involves the inevitable stumble and crumble and all the rest. Can you think of a couple, I know you can, can you share with us a couple of uh, circumstances and things that you learned that we can gift to the audience as ideas for them to to try to to lean into to experiment with. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's interesting you say that because I was had a great conversation earlier today with someone who uh, was guest on my show, and he told me I'd never heard this story before. Um, the phrase he used is "never trust someone without a limp." I was like, huh, what does that mean? And he described for me this biblical story about, you know, an angel wrestling. Uh, you may know the story better than me. Who was it? Not Isaiah. It was previous to Isaiah wrestling Jacob. somebody. Jacob, Jacob exactly. because they call it Jacob's ladder. Yeah, Jacob. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the wrestling, as I understood it, was the wrestling with his hubris, right? His his ego and the angel eventually won the wrestling match, exhausted him, and in the process broke his leg. And so he emerged from that in an angelic way as uh, as Isaiah and with a limp. So in the way I translate that into my own experiences, I have been blessed with many dark nights of the soul. Now, don't get me wrong. Most times, probably every time, when I'm in the midst of the, one of those dark nights, I'm not saying, oh, what a great blessing. This is so fun. Thank you very much. I love this suffering. No, it's like it's it's been hard and challenging, and, and, and I've experienced moments of hopelessness. So this is very general. You asked for more of a specific one, and so I'm happy to oblige with that. You know, and the one that comes to mind first, and I'm lucky, I, I've, I've got a whole series of them I could speak about. But the one that comes to mind first is, I guess it was six, seven years ago, I'd been living in Bali, Bali, Indonesia. I'd built up a great life there, built a center. I was a big fish in a small pond. I had people coming from around the world. Wonderful, wonderful life. And through a series of bizarre events, which eventually showed me it was the unseen hand of God orchestrating all of this. Essentially, overnight, it was all gone, right? So from the human perspective, the ego perspective, do you want to say something, Kellen? Not at all. I'm just fascinated. Keep going. Okay. So from the human ego perspective, which I, which I was very immersed in for a while, <laughs> it was 
It was, I lost my, my job, my business, my home, all our stuff, my country of residence, my money. Um, what else? Our dog. That was the worst. My daughter was 10 at the time. Even my reputation, like overnight, all of that was boom, gone. And, and it was very upsetting and challenging. I said I would never live in the U.S., which is where I was originally from. I said I would never live in the U.S. again. Suddenly, here, here my daughter and I are in the U.S. having lost everything. We've got two suitcases. And what, what are we going to do? And I didn't know it at the time. Later on, though, I heard this phrase that, as I understand it, comes from Chinese medicine, which is a house fire where nobody is hurt is considered a blessing. And, you know, I, I, again, in the, in the midst of it, I wouldn't have felt any of that as a blessing. I, I, in the midst of it, I was like, oh, this is, this sucks. This is hard. And what I came to later that the sense that I made of that expression is that, well, the beauty of a house fire, if nobody is hurt, is that we get so attached to our stuff and our stuff being an, an external representation of our identity. And that tends to lock us into, it doesn't have to, but it tends to lock us into a predictable path going forward. And that's not what we're here for. We're here to, to grow, to expand, to evolve, to have this endless adventure of evolution. And so for me, the, the great blessing that came from that, which I got to see more and more over time, is that I was freed from all of that stuff. And, you know, even now, whatever it is, six, seven years later, I live in a in a beautiful home and it's Zen decoration, as in I don't have very much stuff. And and part of that is because like before, when I moved house, it, it took like two moving trucks. I had so much freaking stuff. Now I love keeping it light and having the focus of my life be more on, the inner game and the game of how I can be of service. And, and it keeps things light and free as compared to sort of the ways I was locked in before. Does that make I, sense? I love that. It makes complete sense. And I love the light and free idea. And it's not only obviously physical things, but spiritual entanglements and the neediness. You know, I need to have this kind of acclamation or need to have this kind of recognition or I need to have stuff or you know, energetic stuff in order to be complete. And being without that allows you to be both nimble. It allows you to be mobile. It allows you to be focused on other things. So after that happened, in the process of seeking and finding the gold in that growth opportunity, and I know that that's how you think about it, and, and I agree with you, how long did that take? Were there periods of plateau? Did you have sudden epiphanies? Like what, what happened? You don't have to do the whole thing up to today, but for the first two or three years, talk a little about that. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's probably a reasonable time frame. And, and, you know, and there's, there's not like a, oh, this day I was uh, struggling and rebelling and crying and whining about it. And the next day I was uh, in, in the promised land and thrilled about it. It evolved and there were peaks and valleys in that process. Um, and one moment, though, I'll, I'll share it. There's so many great 
blessings and insights that came to me, the gold, the gifts that came from that experience. One of them is previous to that experience, I was I was a big fish in a small pond in Asia. I was really well known. Every time I offered a program or something, a lot of people would come. I had a reputation. It was great. And when that all dissolved, when it got blown up, burned down, I came to this place of, hey, I want to do something. I want to offer something. And nobody came. Nobody knew me, right? It was like, wow, all right. And so two things that that I can share out of that a little bit more direct is one, when when the first when when that when I had the first client come to me after that period and say, Hey, I, I would like to work with you. Can you help me? Here I'm gonna pay you this money to engage. I was so grateful. Not not just for the money, that that was that was fine and good, but I was so grateful because I get to be of service again. I get to do what I feel like I'm meant to do on this planet, which is help somebody to to help them to, to to go from here to here in some way in their life in what matters to them. So one thing that came out of it is this appreciation for service, for being able to 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 love and help. Um, which it's not that that was totally absent in my life before. But on some level, I had taken it for granted as compared to what I felt after this experience, right? So I I love it. And I want to dig into that money piece, because when you said, you know, they paid me that when they first came and said, I want to give you this money. And then you were quick to add, not that it was about the money. We have this disease, you know, this money disease where everything is measured in terms of money. And also anyone that says, well, it's not really about the money. Often the first thought in another person's mind is, yeah, you're just saying that. Or someone will say, I don't really mind not having money. Yeah, you're just saying it because you don't have any. You know, that sort of subtext is often around that because we really all know that the only thing that really matters is money. Right. (laughs) Now, I don't believe that and neither do you. But I want to address that for a minute. Why is it I want you to teach us why is it so important? to understand the truth that money facilitates things and it's useful to have to get stuff done. But in terms of soul significance, in terms of making a difference, and in terms of eternal value, it's relatively meaningless. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that you, 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 you paused us and highlighted that. I remember a few years ago hearing this quotation from Jim Rohn, right? Who's a mentor and teacher to so many of us. And he said, yeah, money's not everything, but it ranks right up there with oxygen. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I appreciate money. I appreciate it a lot. So it's true that, that, that experience with that client, it wasn't just about the money and I like the money. I appreciated that money coming in a lot because it allowed me to to facilitate things in my life, to take care of my life, to grow, and also as a a measuring stick in some way for the the service that I could give in the world. Um, so, you know, one of the ways I think of it is that, um, you know, it's like, well, let me let me step back and, and bring this other point in, and I'll see if I can connect the two, because part of my discovery in that experience was, as I said, I, I love to be of service. 
and and that's meaningful to me. Now, before I I got that first new client in my 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 new North American based life, prior to that, when I, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm like, I you know I got to make some money right now and get some food in for my daughter and myself. Like, well, well, I'll drive Uber, right? That seemed like the lowest hanging fruit, easiest way to drive. And I remember the very first trip that I facilitated as an Uber driver, mind you, I was pretty puffed up. I thought I was a big deal over there. I was a guru. I was well-known. I had this big center. So the first time I went to drive Uber, I was at such a low point, including financially, that I, I couldn't afford to hire a babysitter so, or childcare, I guess, better way to say it. So I actually brought my daughter who was, I think nine at the time, she was in the passenger seat with me. I'm like, pretty sure Uber doesn't allow this, but I don't have any choice. So hopefully it's going to be okay. We we're living on this tourist Island in, uh, off, off, uh, Massachusetts. And I go to pick up the first people and it's a group of three college kids carrying two cases of beer right and and i you know I, I don't know i learned when i was a little kid i saw somebody model this and i thought it's a beautiful thing anytime anybody gets into my car i open the door for them right it's just it's a little gesture so i did that when i first drove uber and i opened the door for these they were already half drunk and they're carrying two cases of beer and they get into my car and I thought to myself, man, I am not what I thought I was. And I, my ego was like, oh, struggling with that. And during that drive, amidst my own struggle and overcoming my ego and resentment and crying and whining about it, I realized, you know what? What I thought I was doing as a teacher and a coach, really, it's about taking someone, helping somebody go from here to here. And what I was doing on that drive as an Uber driver was taking somebody from here to here. It had a different format and I was in a different form of service. And in that case, I was getting paid very little to do it. Um, yet it was really the same thing. So because my work has been a lot in kind of spiritual circles and part of it's been in the yoga world, I think there are a lot of us that have consciously or unconsciously swallowed these pills of conditioning that suggests we are not supposed to be doing things for the money. It's not about the money. Maybe we have taken vows of poverty. And if something's genuinely beneficial or spiritual one, then you don't charge for it. Um, and I think that's been something that's really distorted and limited our world. And part of our work is to, 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 to shine a spotlight that on that and say, that's not, it's not, it's not true. It's not helpful. There's a different way of looking at it. Ooh, I think I got on a soapbox there. Let me no, that's fabulous. And here's, here's why, because one of the things we talked a little bit ahead of time about helping people close clients as coaches. And I, I used to feel the same way, give it away, spiritual broke healers, you know, that phrase broke healers and all the rest. You don't do the best service you can unless you're being paid. People tend not to appreciate free stuff. And that doesn't mean that someone that gets something free never appreciates it. But by and large, when I have given hundreds and hundreds of hours of help and coaching and stuff in both the community and church and everything else, uh, it, it is not implemented and it is less appreciated, less valuable, therefore. Value in terms of did it make a difference? It makes less difference. 
than when someone has paid and they show up with bells on and they're like, I'm here to do something. So the idea that we contaminate things by putting money in it is not true. The amount of money someone pays is a measure of their commitment, not your need. And so we charge whatever you charge. What I say to people, they say, why do you charge that? And my answer is, I don't need your money. I need your attention. And when Mm. you give me that money, then I have it. Mm. (laughs) And that's that's sort of the way I approach that thing. So I love the fact that you talked about that. Money is appropriate. It is simply the energetic medium exchange that we happen to use. I want you to now tell us every way possible to describe your work first. What do you do? Um, Maybe a little bit about methods and things. And then tell people how to find you, how to follow you. Since you've shrunk from great guru status to regular dude, like (laughs) tell us how to find you now in this universe and and so forth. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I do the same thing I did before. I help people go from here to here, whatever that means to them and in whatever way I can uh, facilitate the divine coming through me, coming through us to catalyze miracles for them. Different formats for that. It can be a course. It can be uh, a coaching relationship. Uh, easy to find me. You know, I'm a guy with two first names, Daniel, Aaron, A.A. Ron, and I'm on most of the social media places. My website is danielaron.com. Um, and you know, I, I run events, I have, uh, courses, I I'm available and I have a show also the art of vibrant living show. I love it. And I'm grateful because that means that you're serious about spreading your message because doing a podcast, a show, a television show, whatever, it really mostly is a labor of love Mm. because, you know, podcasts are free and they're everywhere. And yeah, people might get invited to do this and that. So as we think about, uh, uh, winding up, I want you to think through your rich experience and put on the lens of intuition and love for those that might be listening and share something with us that they can, t- each person listening, or forget them, me, that I can take away from this conversation to to lean more into love. Hmm. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you. That's a, that's a great frame and invitation. Um, and I'll, I'll say this and, and I, I, I couch it or I hesitate a little bit because, you know, from what I know of you, Callum, you are already living this to a great degree. The one thing I believe about the world, about the universe, and it fits my experience is there's always more, right? And I, I've never, that's not going to I was going to say, I've never liked the word enlightenment. There was a period where I thought it was a cool word and I thought I wanted to be enlightened until I came to a deeper understanding. The problem to me with that word is it implies dark light, right? And which also implies was, am, game over, got there, end of journey. And, and that's not how it works in the world. There's always more growth. There's always more to experience. There's always more love that we can experience and give in the world. So, you know, you know, and, and I know a little bit about you and the way you are um, w- with your fiscal year, we could say the way you set up your year and the goals you make. And even as we're talking now in 2023, I know you've like five times what your reach and goals are going to be for 
how you can serve the world this year. Do you want to say something? Not at all. I'm just being here. Yeah. So to me, the the question for all of us, and I, and I put to you is like, what else? What more? And if if all of that is possible, right? And, and you seem to be to me such a uh, model for seeing possibilities, imagining possibilities, and naming them, aiming toward them, claiming them, and then stepping into them, not on your own, obviously, with the assistance of the divine um, as a co-creation, though the question becomes, well, now that that is within your grasp, now that that already seems real, what else is possible? I just delightedly love that. Thank you for sharing your heart with us today. I I really appreciate that. So thank you for being with us today, Daniel. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's an honor. It's fun. It's a pleasure. And I'm glad to be with you. I want to invite you to do two things, three things, actually. I want to invite you to follow Daniel. Look him up, danielaaron.com. Check out his socials and listen deeply to what he said. So that's the first thing. The second thing is listen to this a couple of times, because when we talk back and forth, a lot of stuff gets said. And I don't know about you, but when I listen to things again, uh, they sound different and they feel different. So take take advantage of that opportunity to do it. And the third thing is if you'd like some free stuff that I have, go to yourultimatelife.ca. All of this together His show, Daniel's message, and his work is designed to help you create your ultimate life. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart in the sky and your